Looking for more professional learning, free as a benefit of your union membership? OEA's upcoming quarter catalog is available now at grow.oregoned.org. You're listening to OEA Grow, a member-led production of the Oregon Education Association and a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. OEA Grow is by members, for members. In Season 10, members discuss supporting our newly arrived students with Sakura Hamada. Hello, everybody. Um, thank you so much for joining us for the OEA Grow podcast. My name is Sakura Hamada. And for those of you who has not listened to the podcast before, uh, welcome. So good to have you. And for those of you who has previously listened to our podcast, welcome back. It is so lovely to have you with us uh, for this season. We've been talking about supporting our newly arrived students. And today, our guest is Biyang Yu. And so if you don't mind introducing yourself, Biyang. Yeah, my name is Biyang Yu. I use he, him pronouns. I've been a EOD educator in Portland Public Schools for around 10 years or so. Um, And I've taught over at uh, Rosa Parks Elementary for nine years, um, 10 years, and then uh, a year at uh, Atkinson Elementary last year as well. Wow. So so you've been like uh, multiple, like few sites working there for quite, uh, working there for quite a while. Um, so what are your, some of your experiences as a teacher, uh, supporting newly, uh, newly arrived students? Yeah. So that, that can look, um, a lot different for different types of students, depending on where they're coming from and where they're at. Uh, usually with newcomers, I'm working in smaller groups with one or two kids. Um, and um, connecting on like um, early phonics instruction, early uh, like beginning, like vocabulary, lots of pictures um, and building a base in, in the English language. Uh, but more importantly, connecting with my students, um, identities and cultures and backgrounds and, and their first language. Mm. And how does that look like connecting with their first languages, language? It, I mean, one thing that I try and do with my newcomers um, is like do a walk through uh, up from where they're from, like through Google Maps and mm-hmm. see some of the towns and places um, where they grew up. And usually the pictures, when we do it like a picture walk, uh, bring up different foods, different places, um, and it creates a conversation when we're connecting to their personal background. Oh, that's cool. And I like that you put up a map to see where where they are. Uh, and I bet that's how you make students feel seen, you know, and for them to be able to identify where they're originally from and kind of like honoring that like cultural aspect. Um, and yeah, and so you mentioned that you do like early phonics and pictures and kind of, t- uh, 
and kind of doing this whole uh, ba- uh, standard, like I guess, the base of English language. Uh, what has been some sort of like a hurdles for you, especially working with like different like demographics or students that coming from different backgrounds, whatnot? What's been some of the hurdles for you? Um, I think one hurdle is like what I've realized, especially last year, is is connecting with parents more. Uh, and mm-hmm. for example, like last year, I started to go into more IEP meetings, um, oh. but not students are dual identified, SPED and ELD. A lot of our ELD students are, um, but a lot of times on like ELD night uh, or back to school night, most of the most of the students are connecting with their classroom teacher when the when the parents are able to meet with them or guardians. And so this year I'm kind of going in with a goal of, of growing more opportunities, connect with parents more um, to have um, to have a better relationship um, and, and connect with what their students need. Oh, that's awesome. So you said, um, and then you, you mentioned, you mentioned about like uh, a lot of students, um, there's students in IEP within your ELD program. And so how does this whole inter- intersectionality look like when supporting the newly, uh, newly arrived students with the IEP and ELD that is? Yeah, it's like getting to know their IEPs and getting to know their their learning styles and what supports they need in the classroom and how I need to shift spaces in my classroom and teaching instruction for my students. Um, this year, working with like Ginger and Alicia has kind of made me aware that there's so much more for me to learn in the SPED community mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. grow as an educator um, in that way, uh, just understanding the right. needs of the students I have and and what supports they need. No, I would say absolutely. another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I would say another tough thing is just finding the time embedded in the school day to do these things because uh, oh, as educators, yeah. right? We uh, <laughs> will stay a long time, but then uh, we realize that we have to get home to our own families too. So it's, it's finding a balance in this career and education and with our own personal lives at home as well. Yeah, no, that's right. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of work. I'm guessing. Yeah. I, I can't imagine just you trying to come up with like, you know, um, curriculum or, you know, for students within your ELD small group, but also has to like, you know, of course you had to look through IEP and whatnot. And that seems like a, a quite a, a lot of hurdles too, but um, what what's been some of like like success or your I guess happy moments that like a proud moment I guess to be serving your newly arrived students within your small group or yeah um, I mean newcomers and all all ELD students um, I think my favorite thing about being an ELD teacher is it's naturally. Uh, especially when we do pull out, it's affinity space for our students. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, being able to really highlight when we have curriculum, find other types of curriculum that are more culturally relevant for our students that still align with the standards. Um, being able to talk about our identities um, and how we navigate how we navigate Portland together. Um, those are all really important conversations. Um and yeah, I mean, success stories like 
last year um, with our older kids, our fourth and fifth graders. Uh, we read a book on a Chinese immigrant coming to the country and the different things mm -hmm. they navigated. And we had discussions with them as immigrants or their parents and how they navigate the world and mm -hmm. supporting each other, um, have a lot of conversations about supporting each other as BIPOC students, especially from that transition going from elementary into middle school. Because uh, oh, middle powerful. school is like a tough place for students and, and really talking about how we don't other each other um, and taking time to have those conversations, I would say is, is really important because there's a lot going on in students. Um, when they're the oldest kids in elementary, when they're the youngest kids in middle school, as they grow up. And um, I went through elementary school, not really talking about my identity in the nineties. And so mm -hmm. trying to be a different type of educator and validate those identities for our students is is really important. Oh yeah, for sure. And I like you take this like pull out session as affinity space for you to have this conversation with the students and again how to navigate this world together, like not othering people. That's like a really strong conversation, and uh, I hope a lot of bakitos. Um, appreciate the conversation, authenticity you bring to the table. Um, but yeah, um, so I, I actually wanted to ask, so this happened to me in my school. So there's this one parent, um, She so they came from like Saudi Arabia, whatnot, and then the mother was super concerned about the daughter's academic, noticed that the daughter didn't like what's below average in the reading level, seemed really frustrated. And again, the student is in ELD. And so I thought I did a decent job kind of like, you know, reassuring her that no, she's the student is in the right path. Like, you know, it is okay. Like being below average of reading literacy doesn't mean like she needs to redo like first grade. But how would you have navigate this conversation when the parent will come into you and be like, oh no, like I'm seeing this grade is my child okay? Like, do they need extra support or do they need to be, quote, held back? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the issue with standardized assessments, right? They give one snapshot into a student and we miss so much. Uh, trying to assure the parent when we do form formative assessments as educators and show each student's growth, each student is an individual and on a different path. Um, and I think it's more important to show how they're growing in our communities and our classroom. And um, that was one thing like really diving more into phonics instruction and the letters program this year and finding a, a program that works for some of my students being able to you know, have more shorter mini formative assessments and show progress and show parents how their students have progress rather than using the ELPA, um, I think was really helpful um, mm -hmm. because a lot of the ELD program um, really uses this ELPA assessment uh, to show the growth of our students. And, and we know a lot of times that ELPA misses a lot of pieces and things. And um, also, you know, having a conversation uh, with that parent on, uh, especially cause I'm in a DLI program now, um, mm. and start off, you know, learn speaking Spanish 90% and then 10% English. So mm -hmm. we're really starting, students are starting off with, um, working in 
in their native language, or some students are learning Spanish as a second language if they're coming with an indigenous language or a different language. Mm-hmm. Um, but really validating that process. And um, I think talking about our identities is important as well because, uh, I mean, I'm a product of not doing that enough when I was a kid mm-hmm. and have, mm-hmm. now I'm trying to learn Korean in my 30s, how to write and read. And and it's it's uh, yeah. it can be tough. Yeah. Language yeah, is no. such a point to our cultures. Um, and when we don't speak the language, um, uh, we have more barriers to, to connect uh, with the cultural pieces um, of our backgrounds and our ethnic identities. Right. Talking about identity, it's so important. Like, yeah, even elementary school, um, when I first came to the United States, I I don't think really talk about, I just knew that I was the other, you know, because I didn't speak the language, English. I clearly didn't feel belong. You know, it's, I feel like it's just so much, you feel more otherized, when, especially when you don't speak the language and it's hard to make friends. It's hard to just be part of the community. At least that's how I felt too. And I, I immigrated uh, when I was in fourth grade. So that was really difficult. And so how do you like navigate, help students navigate like in terms of like finding friends or building like peer relationship? Because I definitely had a hard time um, back then. And so what would be your like, I guess, strategy or approach? Yeah, also having like different mentors in the classroom or students that have gone through the same process helping out a newcomer. Um, and it just not being one student all the time because that's a lot of labor. Um, a lot of times students want to do it. So checking in with the student um, and making sure that it's not the same student um, to help. Because one thing missing for me is um, my father was an immigrant, but I was not. And so those lived experiences I don't hold myself. Um, so trying to be mindful of understanding what my students are going through um, and also acknowledging it's not something that I've personally been through. Uh, and it's something that my parents went through, um, I think is also been important to acknowledge when working with students as well. Absolutely. Like we all go through different lived experiences, you know, whether being a second generation or first generation, whatnot, it's, it's a lot. It's a different sort of experiences. And uh, I totally agree on like honoring that and be mindful of the where they're coming from. So I, I should have asked this question earlier. I wanted to go back about us talking about standardized tests. You mentioned the word ALPA. Some of our audiences may not know what ALPA is. So would you mind uh, diving into or kind of giving us a brief description of what is ALPA? Yeah, it's a standardized test to show um, if students are proficient uh, in English at their targeted grade level. Um, And it tests students in um, reading, speaking, um, writing, and um, the four domains of English. I'm missing one. Reading, writing, speaking, listening. Um, Oh, listening. Yeah. Yeah. And so it just, it's rates students from a scale of one to five, whether they're at the beginning stages or the advanced stages. And then to exit the ELD program, students need to score uh, all fours and above. Mm -hmm. And then 
It's only taken once a year, usually between March and April. Um, so I think it's really important as educators to not just use that assessment to see where our oh, students yeah. are at. Mm -hmm. And one of the challenges uh, working in a big district is uh, a lot of times the ELD, the ELD program has shifted and changed it's changed so many times since I've been yeah. here. So there's always a new curriculum, a new program. It feels like every two years or so, we're throwing out a curriculum and bringing in a new curriculum. And so I think one thing that's also really important as an educator is uh, growing your own curriculum and base as well um, as you're longer in the district. So what does that look like, growing your own curriculum? I'm curious, like, what are, what are your, yeah, ways <laughs> your curriculum looks like as the district is throwing out different sort of curriculum and how do you navigate that? Yeah, I think it's like, uh, I mean, finding resources from other teachers, uh, other ELD teachers, or, you know, going a lot of times I'll pull stuff from Teachers Pay Teachers. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I used to write like uh, like little mini grants in the school I was at before so we could mm -hmm. have some funds to purchase other types of curriculum or sometimes reaching out to the PTA. Um to find a curriculum as well. Um, okay. I think that's the challenge uh, when you work in a district that is standardizing everything um, because not no one curriculum is gonna check all the boxes. Uh, and for example, like in a lot of our, uh, a lot of our schools that aren't DLI schools, the focus right now is wit and wisdom, which is a really problematic curriculum that's is very whitewashed and teaching mm. a lot of the same things that I learned in the 90s that I've had to unlearn as an adult. Um, so I think it's important as educators to recognize when we see curriculum that is problematic, um, that we can go into the standards and find other curriculum that confirms and validates our students' identities rather than mm -hmm. erases them. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah, like... Like, yeah, you have to validate student experiences and then also has to be culturally relevant or responsive. Um, so I'm just, I'm curious though, how do you make your like curriculum culturally uh, relevant to, for the students' needs? Building a collection in a library is also really important. Like when I do read alouds with my students um, and like, building my collection on black, brown, and Asian authors, indigenous authors, um, having that resource in my classroom is really helpful as well. Uh, mm -hmm. It's really important for our students to see themselves in the materials we're reading. And a lot of times now we still have that issue where we don't have enough of that curriculum in the classroom. That was one of the issues with this most recent curriculum and when wisdom is, uh, you know, we have books from the 90s and 60s written by white authors about indigenous people. And uh, we're still talking mm -hmm. about themes of like Lewis and Clark and Manifest Destiny and, uh, and all pieces that it's like as an educator, like, why are we still doing this to our kids? Yeah. <laughs> like, why are we still creating these narratives uh, when there's... There's so much wonderful curriculum and authors out there now as well. 
Yeah, and especially like like you said, it's why it's whitewashing, right? And especially like there's kiddos that are from indigenous or native backgrounds, and having them to like sit there and then listening to that whole narrative, that's 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 the hard, I'm sure. And I don't know, I'm sure there's it's really difficult for a lot of students to even hear that kind of a story too. So I think it's super important to be culturally like relevant, you know, like giving, like you said, like authors of like different uh, diverse backgrounds. I think that's another important thing. You know, when we find these books, they, they really have teachable moments in them where we can talk together. Like um, I remember, you know, um, at Rosa Parks, you know, like, uh, like talking about colorism, like a lot of times we get students, um, that have immigrated from different countries in Africa and they could be othered by the other black students in the classroom. And there'd be some colorism going on saying, oh, you're too dark. You're too black. You're, you're, um, you're African, African, I'm African American. Right. And Mm -hmm. having a conversation with students, how, we don't do that to each other and and how they're othering each other in a group uh, rather than being inclusive of, of each other's identities, uh, I think is a book can provide that space when you read it and start a conversation with your students as well. Yeah, totally. Um, and the students recognize their identity, at least like I like the school that I worked in, like they they all know that like, you know, they're African-American. But they know, um, or some knows that they're not African American; they're Black American, and so they're able to distinguish that themselves already, or have already have this capacity to able to have the conversation about their own identity. And so I think it's powerful to have that teachable moment about again, we don't otherize each other just because we have a different like cultural, linguistic, or racial background. We don't do that around here. Um, uh, yeah, and so you mentioned like you've been working with families, you know, getting to know them as well. Um, how has that been? How do you like establish a relationship with families as an ELD teacher? I think uh, one thing that's really important, like when I get opportunities to connect with the families, is um, highlighting their students' strengths as well. A lot of times, when when parents hear back from educators, it's your student needs to do more of this. Your student needs to do more of this. Uh, mm-hmm. But also just expressing like uh, the joy they bring into your classroom, the things that you see uh, that are positives in the classroom with parents, mm-hmm. I think is really, um, I think that's something that Rosa Parks taught me a lot. Because a lot of times in the beginning of my beginning stages at there, I would be reaching out to parents when something was wrong, but then realizing yeah. that you don't always just want to reach out to parents when something is wrong. You also want Absolutely. to reach out when things are, are great or good, or, or you see these special moments in their children. Mm-hmm. Right. And parents need to hear that. Right. And they need to hear like positive moments that their child had at school rather than all the negatives. Cause I know that um, a lot of parents get overwhelmed when the, when all the phone call from school is all about what their kids did at school, like what the negative things that did in school, blah, blah, blah. It's And then that's when they start to shut down and they feel distrust towards the school community. They're like, wow, like this, the school's trying to wrap my child out or like, you know, labeling my child, like 
yeah, that's that's how parents shuts down. And so I think it's important to give them that positive message about, oh, like your child did this amazing work or um, they finally learned this particular, you know, just any positive is super helpful. Um, yeah, I appreciate you uh, sharing that. And so like, how do you think we as educator as a whole can grow ourselves to better support our newly newcomers? I think it's having a, a mindset that no matter how long we've been somewhere, that we're always growing as educators. And, you know, when we make mistakes that, that we learn from those and that we change um, and grow as educators, I think that piece is really important. Um, I also think uh, it's really important uh, to work on anti-racist education and especially in a city that has predominantly white educators, like that work is also really important for them as well. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so many things, right? Like <laughs> having yeah. more educators learn in, in, in specialized positions, uh, I think is really important. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you you know you as an educator of color as a counselor myself mm-hmm. in ELD right in the SPED community like we we need more of that as well so our students are seen and heard um, in in these spaces as well uh, as well as the classroom as well um, and so I think um, those are important pieces. <laughs> Yeah, no, totally. Like we just we need to be mindful of those and then we need more of our like more representation, right? Representation um within our like specialists uh, or educators too, like myself, counselors, social workers, ELD, special education. So then kids are seen a lot and that's so important for students to feel seen and for newcomers as well. Like they come in for me, other like it's some for some of them like they're still like assimilate like getting to know you know this country the system and trying to feel belong and so it's definitely super helpful for those students to feel seen and value. Any do you have any other things that you want to share or resources that our viewers I'm sorry the listeners should consider? Um. No, not at the moment. My, my my brain is on the summer right now. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, no, I think, no yeah, I think for me, I mean, what's most important is um, building a relationship with, with my students and um, honoring their identities and honoring, there's so much assimilation in our curriculum and in the country as well. So making sure my students are seen and heard and uh, building that relationship is, is always the foundation, I feel like. Yeah, 100%. And uh, again, I feel like the common theme here is that uh, building a relationship, honoring their identity and being mindful of where they're coming from. Um, yeah, thank you so much, Biang. I really appreciate you joining us for our podcast today. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Yep, of course. For more OEA professional learning opportunities, 
visit grow.oregonad.org.